Hey, uh, we're in this series, which is exciting. Um, for those of you that might be new with us today or, or just catching up, uh, we're walking through uh, great lives from God's Word, and it's about a six-month journey. If you've missed a couple of them, and yeah, hopefully each one can stand alone, but uh, you might want to go back. They're always on our website the previous couple weeks where we started uh, with Moses, and uh, we're talking about the life of Moses, and uh, we've talked about... The fact that uh, God's word is the story. It's the story. And it's interesting. Uh, it seems like the crazier culture gets, sometimes you could feel like it just keeps moving further and further away from God's word being relevant in our life. But I'm telling you, the further and crazier culture goes, the more relevant God's word is than ever. And uh, so when we look at God's word, it's not just an historical thing. I've I've talked to you about, you know, I'm a, I'm a history nerd, so I'm going to want to tell you about stuff you don't want to hear about <laughs> because it fascinates me. And, and, but, you know, when it comes to God's Word, these are people who live, people who connected their life with God's presence and God's power, and we learn from them. We can see them uh, come to life, uh, unlike uh, maybe a flannel graph that you grew up in Sunday school with where you, you saw the little characters moving around, but... When I look through the lives of Moses and David and Esther and Joseph and Job and Paul and, and Elijah and, of course, Jesus, just like, man, there's nothing that hasn't been walked that I could walk that I can't find in God's Word where they did it. And what I love about this, this isn't like a, poly, a polished memoir or uh, a, a life story that they've corrected all the, the flaws. No, this is life in the raw. This is people's own words, people's own struggles. And uh, so that, that's what we're doing. And last week we started with the life of Moses and really it was an introduction to how he came on the scene. We learned about how God had established a relationship with a man by the name of Abraham. And that was the first time that God made a covenant, an agreement, a contract, if you will. Uh, he drew Abraham in because he was a person of faith and he believed God. And he established this relationship and said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be with your family. And we see that his, his grandson, Jacob, was also one that loved God and connected with God. And Jacob had 12 sons and he wrestled with God so much, God finally just changed his name and said, you know what, you're not Jacob anymore, you're Israel. So when we talk about the nation of Israel, we talk about the children of Israel, we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, we're talking about this one man, this patriarch that believed and trusted God and wouldn't let God go without connecting with him in an amazing way. That, that's where it all comes from. And we find that this family, this, this group of, uh, of people that, that are the people of the promise, if you will, uh, they make their way to Egypt through Jacob's younger son, his favorite son by the name of Joseph. We're going to be talking about him and looking at his life. Joseph gets them to Egypt in a phenomenal story that we'll go uh, into in great detail. But what happens next is over the next 400 years, the Egyptians take these Israelites, you know, it's like uh, the children of Israel, and they, they make them slaves, and they conscript them as laborers, and they cry out to God. And the Bible says that their cry went up to God. And what I, I've talked about, too, is I love hinge moments in history. There are certain places, I mean, you, you can't make some of this stuff up that, that one person is the right place at the right time and history literally 
flips on a hinge, if you will. Moses is this person, and we get introduced to him. In the book of Hebrews, it looks back and says that Moses' parents, they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. What was the king's edict? Well, Pharaoh was afraid that the the Hebrew people were growing too fast, so he said, I know, we'll just get rid of all the baby boys. And the midwives, we've already talked about this, they wouldn't cooperate. So they just said, if you find any baby boy, you just throw them into the Nile River. Easy, done. But not for Moses' parents. He's not thrown into the Nile. He's hidden as long as he can be hidden, and then he's put into a basket. You might remember this on your flannel graph in your mind. You see the little basket amongst the little reeds, right? But really, it's quite ingenious that his older sister Miriam is watching what happens to this baby that's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Uh Uh-oh, he just happened to put him in the place that Pharaoh's daughter is coming to go down to the river, but she sees this baby and wants this baby and names him Moses, which means I pulled him out of the water. And she begins to raise him. And for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he is a prince in Egypt. He's He's raised and educated in the finest training, and, 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 and he's literally in line for the throne, the greatest nation on earth at the time. And God's plans are always perfect, but the timing is always interesting. God's plans are always perfect, and we never quite understand how he can orchestrate certain things in our lives and in other lives, and we see that Moses decides he's going to Try to do something. God's will. This must be God's will, so he tries to do it his way. Have you ever tried to do God's will your way? Anybody? <laughs> you got a scar? Yeah, right here, like, you know, right, right here. <laughs> Somebody just had a tattoo put on and said, don't do that again or something, I, you know. But Moses tries to do it his way, and it all falls apart in one day, literally. I love what D.L. Moody says about the life of Moses. He says, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody, And then he spends the next 40 years of his life thinking he's a nobody, and the last 40 years of his life seeing what God can do with a nobody. Let me tell you what, I don't care what your past has been, what your story is, maybe you just came just to hear this today. Don't don't count God out. You might feel like you're done, you're not done. God can do anything he wants to do with a life, and this is what we see in, in Moses' life, and he's connected, he's He has this encounter at the bush. Last week we talked about that burning bush and the excuses that so many times we can give and Moses gave. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire within a bush and Moses saw that it didn't burn up and Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And we talk about this moment in history, and we see how now it's a shift in priorities. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I don't know if you've ever thought about or you think about what your priorities are. You know, when you start over something, I mean, this is God initiating a whole new thing. God is doing a brand new thing. He's like, I'm going to take these people, and I'm going to make them into a nation. I'm going to make them into my people. So God is starting this from the very beginning. He's like, this is what it's going to be. I'm going to build this thing from the ground up. And so isn't it interesting? You're going to see what God prioritizes. You're going to see what his priorities are. And the first thing that God wants to do is bring them to a meeting place. 
And God wants to meet these people personally. Think about this. This is huge. This is really about his priorities. And we will, as humans, will struggle with what we say we think is a priority in life and what is actually a priority in life. And you could say, well, this is number one in my life. I heard somebody say one time, if you give me your debit card, you know, printout and your calendar, I'll show you what you really prioritize, right? What you spend my time on, what I spend my money on, what are my priorities? But what we see, what we've seen over the last three years in our nation, priorities have shifted for people, haven't it? For everything we've been through, everything the world has been through, people's priorities have changed. They've shifted. Values have shifted. And I read a recent article that talked about a higher percentage of people now are much more health conscious than they've ever been. That's probably not a bad thing. But there's still fear that persists where they avoid large gatherings. Work has changed. School changed. Attending religious gatherings changed. It's interesting, the, the surveys never indicate... Uh, the higher priority is placed with God. It never says, and people are now much more interested in what God feels about things. You ever wonder if they would ask God what his priorities were? In a recent study, God was surveyed, what are your priorities, right? What do you think is most important? But when we look at Exodus 19, and this is where we're at, and how and where God leads his people as they come out of captivity and bondage, we see that priority, number one, is that God wants to be with his people. He wants to speak to his people. Now, at this point, they've come through the Red Sea. That's a whole other deal. Here's the challenge of going through these lives, because there's so much there. We could literally spend probably a year just on Moses' life. But they came through the Red Sea. They saw this miraculous happening, and ultimately the defeat of the Egyptian army. And in Exodus 19, 1, it says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came out to the desert of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim, and they entered into the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. So God brought them out of bondage, out of slavery for a meeting place. He pried them loose from this cold grip that Egypt and the king had on this whole nation and he brings them out and it leads them to this place, a place of meeting. It shows you what God's priorities, and it can show us what our priorities should be. Because it's always been God's dream. If you look back in, the very start of the Bible is God's dream of having people that would be his people and connect with them. And you remember the Garden of Eden, God would spend time and he would walk with Adam and Eve. And You ever just get tired of those two that they just blew it? Anybody besides me? It's just like, man, you had it so good. I mean, come on. Didn't have to back to school shop for anything. It was just... You know, birthday suit, and, but you know what? Given the opportunity, I'm sure I would have done the same thing. And, but that was God's dream, this connection. And you see the rest of God's word. He's 
He's trying to get back to that place where he can have that communion, if you will. Not so much what we take, but that connection, that conversation. And so he brings his people, think about this, he brings his people to a mountain. And he says, this is where I'm going to meet with you. And it's interesting, every once in a while, you ever get to a place where you just really want to connect with God? You're hungry for God. When I think about that, I think about Psalm 42. You've heard this. We sing it in songs. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go meet with him? And God loved it when people would just take time and make him their desire and their priority number one. But he's, he's trying to start it all here on Mount Sinai. He's really trying to initiate what that looks like. Now, some of you might be traveled. You might have made it to Egypt, where the Sinai Peninsula is. We hear about it more on the news of, of places of conflict. But the Sinai Peninsula, it's in Egypt and what the Bible calls the wilderness. It's a series of solid granite peaks, and they come pretty much just out of the sand kind of like on our flannel graph. <laughs> it just comes out of the sand and it reaches up about 8,000 feet at its highest peak. It's these big granite peaks and mountains. One commentator says it's like the fist of God just kind of coming out of there saying, I'm here, and this is where they come. And this is a place that Moses will go up and hear God's words. Again, let's, let's read this for the first time. Think about how this is amazing. And I know you've watched the movies. You've watched The Prince of Egypt. Maybe some of you old-timers, you know, The Ten Commandments. And you've got Charlton Heston. You know, it's just like he's tan, and he's got this beard that comes down and just kind of waves at the end, you know. And he's got this amazing hair. And, and you know, and he, he goes up to the mountain. And a lot of times we think, well, he just went up to the mountain and stayed there for 40 days. Well, really, that's the movie version. But we find that... Over the course of time on this mountain, Moses goes up and down seven times trying to get this right and connect with the people. But they got to learn some stuff first. You see, you just don't run into the presence of God. You got to prepare for that. And so God says, I'm going to come down on this mountain, and this is going to be our meeting place. And we're, I'm going to talk to you, Moses, and you're going to go down and talk to the people. And this was a plan at the very burning bush that I'm going to speak through you because I want to establish this relationship. And I don't want it to always just be through you. I want to talk to them personally. I want a relationship with them personally. Amazing. God's never changed his desire for that. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want a secondhand relationship that you had. You know, my parents love Jesus, and I'm just along on the coattails. No. My grandma loved Jesus. She prayed for me. No, no, no. God's not interested in trying to get you through family, he wants to talk to you personally. He wants to connect with you. And that's what we see here. And what they must learn first is once they come into and they camp in front of this imposing mountain is that they must prepare their things themselves. And just four things I see that they're preparing themselves. And as I read this, I go, man, God still wants that for me. First of all, he says, they need to be willing to obey. If I'm going to come down, if I'm going to talk to them, they need to be willing to obey. And verse 3 of chapter 19 says, Moses climbed the mountain 
to appear before God. And God called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Remember, it all goes back to Jacob, Israel. Announce to the descendants of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And you know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that great imagery? Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses comes back to the people and he puts this request before them. Okay, first of all, people, God wants to know, if he talks to you, are you going to obey him? Are you going to obey him? Estimates of the size of group, he's, there's two million people camped in front of this mountain. That's a pretty big city. That's a pretty big group. But they answer in just one voice, the Bible says, that we will obey. We agree to obey. And you know, when you come before God, have you pre-decided? I don't know if that's good English, but it's good theology that, you know what? I'm going to come before God, and whatever he asks me to do, I'm going to pre-decide. I'm going to do what he asks me to do. I'm going to obey. That word obey, that's kind of got a bad connotation to it, doesn't it? It's like, you wouldn't believe how many weddings that want to be done, they say, hey, would you take out one word? Take out obey. How many women say, Amen. But have you predecided that you're going to listen to what God says? And it's interesting that God wants to get this right because he's like, don't expect me to kind of give over to you these words that I want to give you if, if you're going to selectively obey what I say. <laughs> and unfortunately, I know I always get to share my flaws, but sometimes I selectively obey. I read God's word and I go, well... You know, forgive everyone that sins against you. And I'm like, okay, well, I can, I can do that as long as you don't expect me to forgive her. I mean, come on, you know that story, right? I, I can't be obeying everything because that would be impractical. And, and it's not like obeying God is going to hurt you, <laughs> I think we can all agree. I mean, a lot of times it's more of an inconvenience. God really wants me to do that. But let me tell you that God's way, we could all agree that God's way is always the best way. His plan, his will. In fact, he says he can work all things together for our good. So why wouldn't we want to say, God, whatever you want to say, I'm willing to obey. The ultimate question right off the bat, isn't it interesting? The first question he says is, listen, I want to talk to you, but are you willing to obey? And the people say, yes. And Moses goes back. And then, then God says this. Not only do you need to be obey, but you need to be sensitive to listen. You need to be sensitive to listen. In verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you, and they will always trust you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said. What, it's interesting. He said, not only do I want you to obey, but I want you to listen to me. What is God talking about here? He's talking about good communication. How many know that if you're going to have good communication, somebody's got to listen? 
and both can't be talking. You ever had one of those conversations? You're both talking, and nobody's listening? Maybe I'm just hitting too close to home. Everybody's just like, wow, hey, let's go back to Moses. That was funnier. Let's talk about the snake again. But God's talking about a relationship. He wants to communicate. He wants communication with his people. Good communication means that I'm going to listen to what is being said. I'm going to respond to that, what's being said. And men, we get in trouble all the time. (laughs) We get in trouble with our wives, with instructions, with directions. Why do we get in trouble? It all comes back to listening, doesn't it? I just don't want to say it's a man problem, but Sandy came home the other day with this big calendar, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. She's got big magnets on the back, and she's writing in big letters on this calendar, and she goes, this is going to go on the refrigerator. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. Why is that? She goes, because you need to understand my schedule. And well, we talk about your schedule all the time. But somehow I started realizing, oh, maybe I'm not listening to said schedule. So she knows I go to the refrigerator quite often. So now I'm going to be opening that door going, oh, oh, that's on the calendar, right? It's all about listening. We're talking about communication. The question that I need to come is like a nod my head, yeah, yeah, but are you really listening? And this is a progression. God is not just going to reveal his truth to anyone. Think about this. If, if, if you go into a conversation and you know they're not going to listen to what you have to say, it's going to kind of change the way you even want to communicate. What, if they're not going to listen to what I want to say, if they're not going to actually prioritize what I want to tell them, am I really going to be motivated to share what I've got to share? And so he asked them first, I mean, you've got to be willing to obey and you've got to be sensitive to listen. And we see throughout the story that when the people won't listen and won't obey through Moses, bad things happen. (laughs) Bad things happen. And the third thing God asks them when they come to the mountain, when they come to this first encounter with him, is he says, you need to prepare your heart. And it's interesting how he does this because in chapter 19, verses 10, 11, and then verse 14, it says this. Then the Lord tells Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure that they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. So Moses went down to the people and he consecrated them for worship and they washed their clothes. It's interesting, all this laundry going on, right? But their clothes being cleaned is really to reflect the condition of their heart. If you're, if you're to go into an important meeting, if, if you were to go to meet with an important individual or a leader, would you go in just like, would you roll, what we used to say in college, that person just rolled out of the rack and made it to class, you know what I mean? Would you just get up with croutons in the corners of your eyes and your hair going this way and you know, and just show up for this important... No, you're going to prepare yourself. Everybody's like... (laughs) It's a sign of respect. And it's also evidence when you're not ready to meet, if you're not prepared. You didn't just drag yourself out from underneath a ditch and just come in your work clothes. So why is my heart... Why You know, this is reflective of... Is your heart ready? you got to prepare your heart. What, what's going on in your heart? 
Because everything comes from and out of the heart. We see this in the word. Proverbs 4, 23 says this. Guard your heart above all else, it says, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart, deter- your heart determines the course of your life. Jesus further explains this. There was a conflict with the disciples, and actually it was with the Pharisees where they were getting on the disciples because they said they're not doing this right and they're not doing that right and you're not eating this right. And Jesus goes, hey, Matthew 15, 18, he says this, but the words that you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and all sexual immorality, theft and lying and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands... (laughs) won't defile you. It's not what comes in, it's what's coming out. And let me tell you, everything that's unhealthy is going to establish and it's going to start itself in my heart. And so isn't it important when we come before God and we say, you know, I'm willing to listen to you, God. I'm willing to obey you, God. But we don't just run into the presence of God and say, man, am I prepared for this? When we meet with God, we're ready to obey and listen, but are we ready? Is there a place in our heart to receive his word. As it is, we, we try to put all kinds of stuff into our heart. <laughs> Sometimes we just put it all in there and let it duke it out, you know? It's like I'm going to bring all this stuff in and, and I'll put some of God's word in there and shake it up and whatever comes out, that's... But God says, I need you to p- prepare to hear from me. Clean out your heart. Get rid of the dirt and the clutter. Wash your clothes, man. <laughs> Come correct. Look like you want to be here. I wonder how much more we'd receive in our devotional time or ministry from the word if we walked in and went, whoa, 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 heart check. There's a comedian right now, and his big funny line is always, hey, check your heart. (laughs) Check your heart. Because people in the church do funny things all the time. Why do we spend time in worship before the word? Because traditionally, we're coming in and we're worshiping God. We're We're being led into lyrics that give a chance to kind of examine our heart. What do we talk about today? We sang about our life isn't built on sand. We want it built on the rock. And as long as it's built on the rock, then it's solid. And we're just kind of contemplating, kind of washing over us to say, God, just purify my heart. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. What he's saying there is like, I want to be clean before you. I don't know about you, but during the week, stuff sticks to you. (laughs) Not just on your shoes either. People will say stuff, and it just gets into your heart. How many know that some of those barbs, those words, they go straight to your heart, and they hurt? Or you take things to heart. Maybe some things you shouldn't take to heart. Or you're contemplating things. And so my heart, if you could just like open it up, it's just like a jumble of activity. But as I walk in, and this is a room that we've set aside where we say we want the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit isn't just confined to this place. It's best when you take him with you and in your home. But when I come and I look at God's word, I'm going to say, God, would you just clean my heart out because there's been a lot of stuff. I need to wash my clothes right now. I just need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. You know, we've talked about that. As you read through the Word, you say, well, once you've read through the Bible, what's the use to doing it again? Why would you go through it all the time? 
Because there's sometimes in my life I'm more prepared to listen than others. Hello? There's other times I've read stuff and I'm like, rah, 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 and there's like a lot of noise. And the other time when I'm like hurting, I'm going, okay, God, <laughs> that don't matter. That don't matter. Come on, we got to talk. And it comes. Okay. Last point today. Not only do we need to be willing to obey and to listen, prepare our hearts. But number four, we need to show a deep respect for God's presence. This is something that I believe that we've lost in our culture in a big way. And we see this in odd ways in the Bible where people kind of almost got scared to death, but that's not the point. Moses 19, 21 and 23, it says, then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people, do not break through the boundaries. They'd set up boundaries around the mountain because God's going to come down. This is a holy place. You need to be in your place because God's presence is coming down. So don't be trying to run up and see what you can see. This is not one of those kind of moments. So they put up boundaries. Go back and warn the people not to break through those boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. But the Lord, but Lord, Moses protested, said, we have. The people cannot come up on Mount Sinai and we have already warned them We've marked off the boundaries all around the mountain and set it apart as holy. What we're talking about here is, I know we don't talk about this much, the fear of the Lord. What is that? Reverence, respect. But it's more than that, the fear of the Lord. I don't think we have a good understanding of that. There are two types of fear. There's servile fear, and then there's phileal fear. How do you like that? I just laid some knowledge on you there, right? So I think I even set them right. I went on and had him speak. I got to, you ever go to get a word and just say speak? I want to be able to say that right. But servile fear is the fear of punishment or wrongdoing. That's you get called to the principal's office. You, you've got servile fear, right? Uh, the IRS says, we want to meet with you and we've got stuff to talk about. <laughs> that is servile fear, right? That's motivation by, motivated by self-preservation. I get in a defensive mode because I am afraid this is not going to be good. But phileal fear, it's familiar, family. That's where we get that from. On the other hand, it draws from the Latin concept of the great idea and refers to the kind of fear that a, a child has for their father. Think of a child who has tremendous respect and love for the father, and they just want to please him. They just desperately want to make dad happy. Now, I know there's stories in the room that you didn't have that kind of fear, and it was the wrong kind of fear, and maybe your father wasn't, but I want you to think of any time we realize that things were dysfunctional and horrible, you always realize because a dad's not supposed to be like that, but think about being in a place where you just want to please your father, and you want to make him happy, and so that's where there's the fear in there child doesn't want to offend the one he loves. He wants to make his dad proud. She wants to say, Daddy, look what I did. Some of you people know this. I mean, you have families in second grade. You come back with this crayon drawing and look what I did. I got to go up and see my grandkids. They all live in one house in Washougal. There's eight of them. It's crazy. It's, there's no fear. But uh, I go in there sometimes, and the first thing, Cash, he's, he's four years old, and he's in preschool. And first thing it is, he brought me two things that he made at preschool, and he goes, look what I did. 
shouldn't talk about grandkids that, that get you. But he wanted me to be proud of him is what I'm trying to say, right? There wasn't like, I'm going to get criticized for this. He so wanted to show me. And, and I'm telling you, when you see, see, this is what God was trying to get at because the first kind of fear is the fear we have outside of Christ where we're, we're afraid of what this world will do to us or people or, or even before you came to Christ, you're afraid of being judged by God. But in this circumstance, God wanted to show how mighty, how great the holiness how could you not be afraid, but it's not the kind of fear that makes you want to run away. It's the fear that leads you to wonder, okay? I heard one great man say this, if we lose our wonder, we lose our way. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. And when it comes to the things of God, in our culture today, we've kind of lost the wonder, reverence, put those words in there, the wonder, the awe of God, what God can do. If you think about going into an audience with the king, we don't understand this in America or in England. If you got a chance, very few people get a chance to go in and meet the queen. <laughs> Nobody's meet her anymore. But now King Charles, right? It's like you get a chance to go in and meet the king or the president of the United States. I don't care what your politics are. If you come into the presence of the president of the United States, the office is due some respect and some fear, if you will. And you're just going to come in and, and you're going to be respectful. Uh, I had a youth event one time. We were doing a snow camp when I lived in Idaho, and we were up in Sun Valley, Idaho, which is a pretty beautiful place. A lot of beautiful people are up there. And I was coming out of the lodge in Sun Valley, and I was holding the door, and I looked back, and Arnold Schwarzenegger came out. And I talked about that for two months. I was just like, <laughs> I, I touched the same door that Arnold Schwarzenegger did with like a weak little pansy hand where he, you know, and did he even know I existed? No, but I was just in proximity. And think about that. We come into the presence of the God of the universe. Have we lost our fear and our wonder? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what wisdom the fear of the Lord prolonged life, it says. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, another place says. The fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. You see the difference in that fear. It's not the servile fear. It's the filial fear that, that there's strong confidence when I just want God to see me and be proud of me. Another place it says, how blessed is the man who what fears the Lord. Now, we started this whole talk today by saying, what's your number one priority? What's the priority in your life? And it's interesting that when God came down, and I'm really going to simplify this, but when God came down on this mountain, two things happened. Number one, God gave his word to Moses. Think about that. Until this moment, there was no thing as God's written word. Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. And God starts this, initiates it with giving his law, handwritten in God's own hand, and he gives it to him. So first of all, it's like, here's my word. First thing God did when he got people next to him, he says, here's my word. I think that's a priority. Where do we prioritize God's word? The second thing he did was say, here's what the meeting place is going to look like, the tabernacle instructions, right? And so he says, my word and that meeting place. What was the tabernacle for? 
The tabernacle was for God not to just live up on the mountain in the fire and the smoke, but God to come down. And as the message says, when it says, Emmanuel, God with us, he moved into the neighborhood. God's plan has always been to be with his people. And then we read in Jesus' time, there was a temple, and that represented the presence of God. And then when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and guess what? Now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I see God's top two priorities when I just value his word and allow his word to get into my life. And I see God's ultimate priority when I say, you know what? I'm going to spend, where can I go and meet with God? David said, where can I go? and meet with God. I want to be there. I hope you look for places to go be with God. And it's not limited to this room, but where do you create space? Because the temple of the Holy Spirit is within you. But I've got to give it room and space. That's the priority. Where do I give space to allow myself to ingest God's word and let him speak to me and spend time with him? God came to change your priorities. So let me ask you, are you willing to obey? That was the first question he asked them. Are you going to be willing to obey? Let me ask you today, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to listen? Let me ask you, how's your heart? Is it full of too much stuff? When's the last time you checked your heart? You washed your clothes. You realize that there's too much competing voices. I've got to clean my, I've got to come before him. And then let me just ask you, when's the last time you were just amazed by God? What are we seeing right now in Kentucky, Asbury University? Everybody's heard this, right? God showed up at a place. It's just like he just kind of interrupted the schedule and people can't get there fast enough. And they're coming away changed and now, is that a different God than is willing to show up with us and for here? And I'm telling you, same God. He's like, if you're willing to obey and you're willing to listen and you'll allow my word to get and get that hunger into your heart, who knows what's going to happen, but I want to change your priorities and I want my word and meeting time to be number one, to be number one. God told Moses at the bush, so I have come down to rescue them. God's plan has always been to come down and be with us. Yeah, we, get, we see the temple and we see the cloud and we see the fire on the mountain, but God's plan was always, I want to dwell with you. I want to connect with you. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. And when I walk with you, don't be surprised if things start changing in your life. Your priorities change. Your fear begins to shift from being afraid of it to being a different kind of fear of saying, God, I just want you to be proud of me. I just want to stand where you want me to stand. I just see what I did. I got, I'm, I'm listening less to everybody else, and I just want to know if you're happy with me, that's all that matters. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. It changes then when somebody says, oh, the man upstairs, the big guy. The big fella. Yeah. No, no, no. God's word. It's more than just thank you for the touchdown. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to recognize God, but 
If we lose our wonder, we lose our way. And that starts in the heart. Jesus, I thank you for your word today. (laughs) God, I'm learning so much just looking at the people that you work through and you work with. And God, I pray today just in a fresh new way that these people within your word, these, these people that you use, flesh and blood, people that walked this world, that encountered a lot of the same issues that we do because they were human. And God, I pray that they would just come to life and come in just such a fresh and new way that we hear you in a clear way. And God, I, I pray today that our heart would be to obey you, no matter what you say. Forgive me, God, for being selectively obedient. Forgive me, God, for having selective hearing, where I heard one part, but that sounds, God, just help us to say, whatever you say, God, I'm going to obey. I'm willing to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to allow things to be reprioritized in my heart so that there's, you are the number one space, and I'm going to have that reverence and fear for you as the one that I ultimately want to please. God, I pray right now in this room and those watching online that that would be the prayer of our heart. Just, and if you just want to start having a conversation with Jesus right now, I don't know where this fits into what you're thinking or what God is saying or what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, but just start that conversation right now. Maybe you might just say, Jesus, help me to have a heart to obey. God, help us to have ears to listen. Jesus told us that over and over. If you'll have ears to hear, you can hear this. God, help us to make space in our crowded lives because there's nothing that can crowd you out that's worth it. And God, help us to see who you are and be in awe of who you are. And maybe like those people waiting in line just to get into the chapel at Asbury University, we would start having some anticipation to meet with you in our own space, in our own time. In Jesus' name. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, I'm telling you, what we've been talking about is so relevant to you and so available to you. Don't walk another day, don't live another moment without having Jesus being a part of your life. Maybe you've been hurt. A lot of us have. Maybe you've felt disqualified. A lot of us do. But I'm telling you what, a relationship with Jesus, his number one goal is to be with you, to walk with you and to be able to speak to you. And if you're watching online or you're in this room, the Bible says that today's the best day. Don't put it off. And you could just do this. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I want to come to that place where I'm in awe of you. Or like we sang today, God, I want to come to that place where my life is built on you and I'm not afraid anymore. But I know that my life might get shook, but it's not going to fail because it's built on you. You can have that today with that relationship connection. Doesn't mean all your problems go away, but it means Jesus is with you. You're not alone. And as a church, our job as a local church is to come around you and help you to grow in that relationship. So let someone know if you've made that decision today. Jesus, give people the courage to say dangerous prayers like, God help, God come into my life. Thank you that we can learn from your people, from Bible people, from amazing people, from just real people like Moses. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Uh, so we just spent three weeks with Moses. There's a lot more. Here's, you know, what? I've got a little like ulterior motive. You ever hear about that? I really hope you're getting curious about Moses and go check him out for yourself. 
Some of you are like going, oh, that didn't happen to Moses. Just, just go prove it. Just get in there. I'm not going to tell you things that aren't true to make you do that. But no, I'm just like, I hope you're curious. I hope you're curious. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say Moses' beard like waved like this. That was just me. That was my commentary. But I'm telling you, get curious. Get curious. Moses was a man that God used in powerful ways. And he's a lot like us. Next week, we're moving on to David. And uh, you talk about a mess. That's a whole other story. But uh, he was a man after God's own heart. It had nothing to do with gender. It's a person after God's heart. Okay, I'm starting the next week already, so sorry about that. Would you please stand with me today? No, wait a minute. Yeah, stand with me today, and I want you to stand and watch something. Last week, I talked about Convoy of Hope. Big give, we gave. Let me show you what's happening with Convoy of Hope in Turkey right now. I love our partner, our partnership with Convoy of Hope, and the 24, a little over 24,000 that we sent in December makes them ready and, and, and mobile to be able to do that. So I always love to say, hey, we did that thing. We never heard about it. That's what it's doing. That's what it's doing. And if you would like to give, I'm telling you, there's no greater organization than Convoy of Hope. It's so trusted that when you give gifts, and you could say, I want to give this gift to the need in Turkey, it will go directly to Turkey. And uh, the, the, the one day to feed the world that we did, we kind of gave into their general pot that they can put it wherever is needed. But I want you to know, man, it's shifting to places like that. So I just want to say thank you again for your partnership. And I think it's great that we can say, you know what? We got a partner on the ground in Turkey and Syria making a difference. That's pretty cool. And that's, I love the way the kingdom works. Our prayer wall is open. And if there's any way we can pray for you, there'll be people that love Jesus and would love to pray for you right over here by these tables. If you're online, please let the host know. We'd love to pray for you. Any way we can pray for you throughout the week, please let us know that. But until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that God would turn his face towards you, shine his countenance on your life. He's not a God of the smoke and fire on top of a mountain. He's a God that wants to be in your neighborhood. He wants to connect with you. God bless you as you go live the life today. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you 
and God bless your week.